0: Welcome to Marvel
1: Us Disney. Welcome to Marvel Us Disney, the podcast that discusses all of the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. As for who the Us in the show's title is, I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill. And before we get started on this week's news segment, let me bring in this podcast, Resident Marvel Maven, and that is the amazing Aaron Adams. Thank you, and it's great to be back once again for another joyous show. We've got so much fun stuff to talk about today. Among them is Black Panther, which continues to dominate at the box office. It's fourth weekend to release at this point, and it's even managed to best Disney's most recent release, the heavily promoted Wrinkle in Time, as we're recording. This show, that $100 million production, was projected to sell $32 million worth of tickets over its opening weekend, which sounds impressive, but that's still not enough to beat Black Panther in its fourth weekend of release. Black Panther currently projected to do. 41 to $42 million dollars in North America over this weekend. With that money coming in, this then allows Black Panther to bust through the billion dollar barrier. It's only the fifth movie of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe to ever achieve this. And Disney has released 16 movies to date that over the 80 plus year history of the company have managed to do this. So when you sell that many tickets, Aaron, you get a sequel, right? Oh, obviously. And we didn't need Kevin Feige to
0: step in front of a podium with a nice shiny microphone to say, hey, guess what? We're coming out with a new Black Panther movie because after it was marching steadily towards a billion dollars, I don't think there is anybody on the planet who ever really wondered deep down in their heart.
1: I wonder if they're going to give us a second Black Panther movie. Yeah, It's kind of a given. Oh, I know. But that said, in the interview he did just this past week with Entertainment Weekly, Kevin was at least nice enough to sort of take the question off the table. He, In fact, the term he used was, we absolutely will do this. He almost heard his hand patting himself on the back. I apologize. This is a slight spoiler for those of you who haven't seen the Infinity Wars trailer that's out there right now. But the third act of that movie is actually set in Wakanda. There's a giant battle that happens there. And when your giant hit movie that's out in theaters sets the stage or sets the scene for your next movie, that's got to feel good.
0: Yeah, although I'm mildly disappointed that he's just going to flat out say to the world that the third act, which is usually, you know, the the culmination of everything happens in the third act. And they're just going to say, oh, by the way. Without a spoiler tag, it's in Wakanda, just so we can cash in on our last bit of Wakanda billion-dollar income. Yeah, we knew that Black Panther was going to be involved, because we saw the shot with all the warriors and Cap, but I didn't need to know it was in the third act. That could have been anywhere in the movie, and I would have known. They're in Wakanda, so... (laughs)
1: That's why we use the term slight spoiler. The interesting thing is Feige talked about we didn't know that Panther was going to hit. He kind of made the comparison to they had Captain America the First Avenger and Thor in the can and they were shooting the initial Avengers and they had no idea whether or not those first two films would hit and get people excited to see Avengers. They were just rolling the dice. And so in much the same way, it's like, well, geez, I hope they like Black Panther, because we have a lot of Infinity Wars that's set in this region. The other big news that broke just in, in the past week or so about this movie is that Disney and Marvel Studios announced that they were moving up the release date. Previously, the idea was that Infinity Wars would open internationally on April 27th, and then in the domestic market, North America and then the like, would open on May 4th. And suddenly on March 1st, Marvel and Disney notes, hey, 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 we're going to open Infinity Wars day and date globally, which which means, again, it opens in all of the major markets around the planet on the exact same day. Now, a couple of theories out there about why this happened. In fact, doubling back on just the whole slight spoilers about Third Act and Wakanda, we live in this age now with the internet, we're all connected, which means that people can spoil a movie in a heartbeat. The initial story that got out was like, Disney and Marvel were concerned that because it opened internationally first, that a lot of spoilers would get out, and people in North America would have been waiting for this movie for 19 plus installments to you know pay off the cinematic universe. That Disney was doing this out of the kindness of their heart, you know. So sure, they, they, they were. Now the other theory that was put out there was that because Black Panther is doing so well at the box office, there's this whole slew of Marvel fans that have come through the door that are new to the cinematic universe because of Black Panther. And the whole notion is, well, let's move down that window and get the people who were hungry for more stuff in there as soon as possible. And me personally, I don't know if I buy into that because that's right now that's six and a half weeks Ahead in cinematic terms, I mean, that's an eon. Mm -hmm. By then, it won't be a question of whether or not Black Panther is still number one in the box office. To be honest, I'll be surprised in six and a half weeks if Black Panther's still in the top 10. Mm -hmm. So we now come to, I think, the thing that's most based in reality. And in fact, as a Deadpool fan, I think you'll back me up on this one. The theory now is that. Deadpool 2 is supposed to open in theaters on May 18th. If Disney had stuck with the same release date for Infinity Wars in North America, the original May 4th date, that only gave them two weeks in theaters before Deadpool came along. And the first Deadpool made $783 million worldwide. The belief is that they're going to do the exact same thing, a wonderful, hard, R-rated, incredibly violent film. And frankly, it's going to suck a lot of the air out of the box office for Marvel fans.
0: That's one way you can look at it. You know when you're in a corporate environment, something happens called blamestorming, where they go, Who screwed this up? And uh, that was Bob in accounting. Uh, It had to be Bob. And everyone kind of points their fingers in a different direction because no one wants to take the heat. So in this case, Disney as a company is doing blame storming, And they come up with the reason of, well, Deadpool could suck away some of our money. And that is true. There's no lie to that statement. But what they're not saying is, well, we really didn't expect Black Panther to earn a billion dollars. We hoped it did well when you put out any piece of work, whether it be music or film or a book, you don't know how the audience is going to react to it until they actually can consume it and then report back to you some feedback of loved it, hated it, this sucked, that was great, whatever. Now, you have to remember that Disney is not just Marvel Studios, but the Walt Disney Picture Company and Pixar is part of all of that. And they've got a lot of different things that are putting out different types of movies, and they accidentally just cannibalized A Wrinkle in Time without meaning to with Black Panther and right after Infinity Wars was not only Deadpool 2, but you've got a Han Solo movie coming right out around the corner from that, and you also have an Ant-Man
1: movie coming out right after that. Well, actually, you, you stepped over the other thing that's really kind of concerning Disney, because you've got Infinity Wars, you've got Han Solo, and then right in between, Solo, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, you've got Incredibles too. You've got yet another superhero movie. But again, it's a sequel to a movie that was done in 2004.
0: Right. What's public interest at this point of
1: a franchise that old? Yeah. I mean, as Tron Legacy and the like have proven, it's kind of problematic sometimes to get people that far in between the to get them excited again. Anyway, no, you've definitely hit upon a valid point here. This brings up the secondary issue here that Disney has just made a 5.2 billion dollar bid for Fox's film elements and the television elements. And I was flat out told by folks at the studio, said, when this deal is completed, and it now looks like we'll be well into 2019 before that happens, one of the very first conversations is about, let's get all of the Fox X-Men guys in the room here, and let's work out a master schedule for 2024 and beyond with the notion that from this point forward, we obviously still have to worry about universal we obviously still have to worry about paramount but let's not cannibalize ourselves let's let's disney and fox sit down with all the marvel people all the lucasfilm people all of the pixar people let's just stick flags in the turf we want a release date and then at least three weekends that we have just a clear shot of decent box office before the next thing comes along. You know what I think is going to end up as a result
0: of this is because Disney has so many movie studios, we're actually going to see a redefinition of the calendar year as far as release dates go, because you've got like Memorial Day holiday right before Christmas, Thanksgiving. Those are some big days for theaters. Summertime is known for tentpole blockbusters and Marvel right now kind of knows that they've got enough power behind their movies that it doesn't have to be a summer blockbuster. They can move that summer schedule by a week or two now forward into April So it gives them more breathing room for all of their other properties like Lucasfilm and the Pixar stuff to live in different territories that would normally consider to be blockbuster. But now it's either a few weeks before blockbuster season or a few weeks after in more untraditional places of placing their movies.
1: It's so interesting you say that because that was another point that folks I was talking with in the past week were mentioning that by pushing Infinity Wars out to April 27th and should this film succeed at that point it allows Disney to sort of say hey look summer starts the last week of April it used to be that summer can at least as far as the studios were concerned from Memorial Day to Labor Day and now hey April I want to tell you the one reason why this
0: disappoints me on a soul level my soul is crushed by them doing this Mm mm-hmm and I'm going to tell you, it's it's simply a selfish reason. May 4th is my birthday, and to always have a movie come out on May 4th, like every single year, all the Spider-Man movies were either coming out on May 4th or May 2nd weekend if it didn't fall on that Friday or whatever. So I always felt that Marvel was giving me personally a movie every single year for my birthday present for being such a loyal fan since the early 70s. And now it's like... It's not my birthday movie, but my wife still gets her birthday movie because hers is late in May, and I think she gets Star Wars
1: as her birthday movie this year. Interesting you say this because our (laughs) our next news item gets into this pile of release dates that Disney just, and there were a slew of them. There were not only Marvel, but Pixar and feature animation and all that, but we're talking Marvel here. So the nine, can you believe it, Aaron, nine, Yeah, starting, well, it's almost your birthday. It's May 1st, 2020. I'll count it. Okay. And then we we see basically the same pattern repeated here. We see a July release, July 31st, 2020, followed by a November release, uh, November 6th. Uh, same thing going into 2021. In this case, it's May 7th, July 30th, November 5th. And then kind of an interesting deviation for 2022 we see a february 18th we see a may 6th and july 29th but no november release and i wonder looking at the february 2022 release black panther yeah well no they said exactly you know wow we did really well in that window it's black history month what do you think we're gonna wait that long for a new panther though i would put a hefty wager on that to say that absolutely that's how
0: long you're gonna have to wait because at first it takes at least two years to put a movie together they're not gonna fast track it in the way of we have to get it out next year because that's when you fumble and screw up when you're chasing a target date so i think that they're gonna try and take the care that they need also the Infinity Wars is a big deal right now, and that's going to change the structure of the rest of the Marvel Universe for a considerable time. So we know that we're going to get a Spider-Man 2 movie relatively soon, as well as a Guardians of the Galaxy 3 movie. So we can expect certain things. We got another Doctor Strange movie that you know we haven't quite heard about yet. Ant-Man 3 should probably be in that mix somewhere by that time and then uh yeah black panther 2 because we've got captain marvel that's a lot closer than the other ones i think isn't she right around the
1: corner as well we're gonna get to that in just a sec it's interesting you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 because James Gunn has been less than subtle about when 3 is gearing up. That They're in pre production now. They're supposed to start shooting at Pinewood Atlantis Studios in early 2019 for a, a 2020 release date. The smart money is that May 1st, 2020. Release is Guardians Volume 3. Yeah. Also, for you Disney theme park fans out there, that in much the same way that the footage for Mission Breakout was shot while Volume 2 was in production, evidently Imagineering has already reached out to Gunn and gone, hey, this ride we're doing for Epcot, we're gonna need the cast to shoot some footage for that. And James, who's this huge theme park guy, is like, Yes, absolutely, we're gonna do this. Oh, and by the way, we we have had some additional information come out about this Guardians attraction Bob Chapek the head of Disney Parks and Resorts at the D23 Expo in Japan uh, last month revealed that this thing which is going to be built in the old Universe of Energy show building or at least that's where the pre-show is going to be located it's going to be one one of the world's largest enclosed roller coasters The bad news we will probably be waiting at least till 2020 more likely 2021 because that's walt disney world's 50th anniversary and this is supposedly one of the big gun rides that will be used to lure us all back to that resort for the 50th anniversary
0: also in recent james gun news i don't know if you'd caught this little blurb but he's been on twitter recently rather exasperated to come to find out that many of the people who watch Guardians of the Galaxy 2 assumed that Groot was Groot from movie one, just reincarnated in a smaller form factor. And James Gunn had to go on to explain that baby Groot is literally an offspring of Groot and he does not retain Groot's memories. so. All of the stuff they did in the, in the first adventure, Baby Groot is not aware of that. Just like if you were to have a child, that child does not absorb all of your memories and you know personal connections to the people that you're friends with. And honestly, I did not know that. I thought it was just a twig. You know how you cut off like a potato or something and replant it and it grows a new potato? I thought it was like one of those things where there's a part of Groot that survived and he just started over as a sapling and was going to grow up. But apparently, this Groot is the baby of Groot and uh, not Groot at all.
1: Now, didn't I also read supposedly the version of Groot we were sort of introduced to in the credit scene, the teenage Groot? Right. Doesn't he have like a teenage son that I guess is sort of influencing the choices with this one or...
0: Oh, James Gunn's kid is influencing it? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised just because of the dialogue of Star-Lord talking about having him clean up his room and then Groot doing the, I am Groot, Mocking yeah. back at him and he's like... Mm-hmm. I am not boring. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see that be like an actual event at James Gunn's house one afternoon, him bickering with his son and just going, you know what? Don't clean your room. I'm going to go to my office and write a scene. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll pay a hundred bucks for being a jerk later (laughs) for a wonderful idea. There we go. This is is how I pay for your college, kid. Keep being obnoxious. Okay. You're putting yourself through a great school with your poor attitude. Let me tell you, boy. There we go.
1: All right. Well, now to slide back to Captain Marvel, which again, shooting now, supposedly coming out in March 8th, 2019, to be exact. Previous edition of the Marvelous Disney Podcast, Aaron and I were wondering in the grand scheme of things. Where exactly Captain Marvel fits in the cinematic universe? And given this movie actually comes between the Infinity Wars and the unnamed Marvel Avengers 4. Right. You know, whatever that's going to be called. And it's like, well, there's at least a movie or two between this. We've got Ant-Man and the Wasp, and it's like, where, where does this fit? And Mr. Feige, with his interview with Entertainment Weekly, kind of cleared this up. Direct quote here. going to explore the period before Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury had any idea uh, that there were any other heroes or crazy stuff going on in the world. When we first met Nick Fury, in Iron Man 1, and he told Tony Stark, you're part of a bigger universe, you just don't know it yet. Well, the idea with Captain Marvel is we're gonna go back to a time where Fury didn't even know it yet. So Carol Danvers, the woman who eventually becomes Captain Marvel, at least in this origin story, she's gonna be the first hero that Nick ever encounters. Also, the other thing, if you were a big fan of the scene in Ant-Man where you got to see Michael Douglas sort of regress to the way he looked during when he was working with Carl Marnolden in the streets of San Francisco, that they're supposedly using the same technology, de-aging stuff on Samuel Jackson for this film so he can look like he's back in the 70s, the cooler, younger Samuel Jackson.
0: Can't wait for that. They did a good job. If you look back at when they did Jeff Bridges in Tron Legacy, that was a very bad first five minutes of movie to be introduced, you know, reintroduced with a very bad CGI, Jeff Bridges. So to look at how far they've come, you know, it's still not 100% perfect, but it was really darn
1: good comparatively. I, I, I agree. Oh, one thing before we, we step away from Samuel Jackson. Here. He mm-hmm. actually put a shot up on Instagram just this past week. They were doing a life cast of him. And of course, the Internet explodes over this because the, the belief is that the reason they were doing a live cast, especially of Samuel's head, is that we're going to get to see in this movie how Nick Fury loses his left eye. So they needed to have this to hand off to the physical prop guys where it's like, okay, now figure out where you put the C4 charge and get back to us. (laughs) Getting back now to Captain Marvel, and the hope is that this will be a hit film and people want to see more of this character because there's been a lot of talk lately, especially with what's been going on with Me Too and that sort of thing about why is it that We've got this Captain Marvel film and that's wonderful and we, we just saw Shuri and Black Panther and likewise Valkyrie and Thor Ragnarok, but why is there no standalone female film, the argument has always been, it's like, look, Natasha, Black Widow's been there the whole time. Why did Mm -hmm. she not get her own movie? And well, it turns out that maybe she is. Back in January, Marvel Studios hired a screenwriter, Jack Schaefer. She's been hired to write this Black Widow movie. And the interesting thing is at least the initial scuttlebutt is the guidance that Schaefer was given going into this project is that There's been in this past six to eight months, these characters that the public has loved. Again, Shuri, Black Panther, Valkyrie from Thor Ragnarok. And wouldn't it be interesting to take all of these wonderful female characters and put them all together in some sort of a caper film, which I have to tell you, Aaron, and I talked about this off air and you hate this idea. I do. Okay, please explain.
0: Well, they're chasing a trend Which is never a good thing because trends come and go. And not to say that I am hoping or anticipating a strong female power trend to go away. I don't even think it's a trend. I think it's here to stay, and that's good. I applaud that. But you're still chasing a trend of, oh, we've got a bunch of popular strong women. That's the current hot button thing right now. So let's just lump them all together and devise a story that incorporates a Norse god in Valkyrie. Then you've also got Captain Marvel, maybe in the mix, who's got her own set of superpowers. And then you've got Shuri from Black Panther. And it's just like kind of throwing every corner of the Marvel Universe together just so we can assemble strong women. For some reason, it has to be women that fight this battle. And I just think that's a poor starting point. What they did with Black Panther was they embraced the culture and they did it authentically and they remain true to the character. That's the core, I think, of its success. If you were to look at Black Widow, the core of her character is that she was trained as a, I want to say, sexual assassin. She was supposed to use her sexuality to lure men into a place of where they think they're in control, but she's able to get the information out of them. And obviously she's badass on her own and can destroy any guy without the need of a help of Valkyrie or a gizmo from Shuri. She's well-equipped on her own, so I think, in my mind, if I were to hope for a Black Widow movie, it would be a female Bond-type movie. The other thing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is they really haven't delved into sexuality at all, and it's not like I'm hoping to get Scarlett Johansson naked in a movie. That's not the goal of it. Obviously, she's a beautiful woman, but you can have her, you know, dressed, seductively and lure a man into a position of vulnerability and then just level him you know pound him into the floor take what you need a movie that just came out red sparrow with jennifer lawrence is Pretty much that type of movie that I was kind of hoping for from a Black Widow movie was a strong, very, very intelligent, manipulative woman who knows how to get what she needs by any means necessary and turn that into like a super Bond type of movie, I think would be incredible because I think it's true to that character.
1: Interesting point. That's just the
0: difference of chasing a trend and then trying to craft a story around that trend that can seem hobbled together almost like hey let's make a suicide squad but of all women because that seems to be a trend right now and chasing a trend never ends good you have to be original and create a new trend just like black panther was they weren't chasing a trend they created something true and original for that character and now there are going to be trends based off of that and disney shouldn't be the trend follower but the trend setter
1: and that's how you got to approach that okay now just to be clear here remember that jack has been hired to write a screenplay this is a potential marvel studios production not a definite marvel studios production
0: if any woman deserves her own movie without needing backup I would like it to just be her kicking ass on her own.
1: Feige has talked about how uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, it was his nod to movies like Three Day of the Condor from the the 1970s. That's one of the things they're saying about Captain Marvel is it's ironic that this story is set in the 1970s because it really is a tribute to the big action adventure movies of the 1980s. Right. I stand outside of it and it says, okay, you know, we're looking to do our Oceans 11. And it's just sort of like, if I walk into the kitchen and you're there, I have milk, I have eggs, I have flour, I have sugar. And it's like, I could see that could be a cake. Right. So I'm willing to step back and let you try to make your cake. Within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think this is part of why it
0: succeeds so Mm -hmm. well, is that they're not just superhero movies, but they're different genre movies. Stark is a billionaire playboy philanthropist with all the cool gadgets and that's almost like weird science territory Mm. and then you get into Thor Norse mythology taking place on Asgard and you know other realms that's almost an epic space sci-fi with Norse mythology added on top as the foundation of it you get to Ant-Man and you end up in a heist movie and you get into Captain America, that's a World War II movie.
1: And so each movie has
0: its own flavor that they've been able to embrace an entire different genre style. But still be able to connect it in a unified universe is very, very challenging, but also very, very smart because it gives a new flavor. Every time you go to the movie, it's not just the same superhero rehash. And that's the one thing I do have to give him credit for is... Each character seems to have its own genre that it lives in and it's malleable and they're not afraid to change that. I
1: think that's really cool. Marvel is trying to figure out how to do something in this Me Too moment as a movie. And the the irony is that if you look at what just happened with season two of Jessica Jones, which just bowed on Netflix, that they didn't even break their stride. They just walked right into that moment. They did. And I got to tell you, if I were to be one of the people
0: that received the five first episodes of Jessica Jones, I would have been severely disappointed in the season thus far. She's an investigator. So she has to find out that there's someone looming in the background. Then she's got to investigate to find out who that person is looming in the background. And then they're going to create all these subplots along the way that are going to carry throughout the entire season. And so by the time you get to episode five, it really feels like nothing has happened at all. And that is one of the hard parts where you try and take one entire season and make, you know, one long overreaching arc is you have to treat it like a 10 hour movie. It's going to feel padded sometimes. So the first five hours of Jessica Jones left me wanting for so much more. And then it got to episode six and they reveal who the bad guy is. To be honest, I was craving some big climactic punch him up Everyone's throwing each other across the city and mayhem and chaos And I was very very surprised by the direction that they went in I also think that there was a lot of restraint used There were some lulls There's an entire plot thread or two that could have been excised completely without changing the outcome of the series in any way shape or form Jessica is still fractured drinking. She's got some demons right now. And I think when the demons came into play, man, that became a lot of fun. And so what I've enjoyed about Jessica Jones is she is a broken, broken human being that really needs a lot of help. And she's got a support system around her that I don't think she's willing to take advantage of. And I think she's got to hit rock bottom a bit at some point. I just find her to be a very interesting character because she's so riddled with flaws and anger that it's not just, I'm going to go do good. Let me go get my cape. Now I'm doing good. It's much more complicated than that. And I I love that complexity. Overall, I think season two, I didn't love it as much as season one. And I got to tell you, that's mostly because it lacked David Tennant. And I really, really love David Tennant. And when he's playing a bad guy, because he's still so damn charming that you like him, but you're kind of scared of him. I don't know if I
1: should give you my wallet or shake your hand. (laughs) This is Marvel television that's doing this. And having just seen the hundredth episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I love Clark Gregg. I love that we've made it to a hundred episodes. This one really did look back. Yes, it did. The whole Tahiti thing and all that. I just kind of feel we're kind of in those last couple of seasons of Lost where you had these wonderful performers that you really enjoyed I want to go in the writers room it's like you have no clue where you're going right you have these wonderful performers you have these great characters and you have no idea what to do with them so Jim Mm -hmm. as a
0: writer and I do a lot of writing myself and I've had to do
1: some very creative
0: writing and I did a character and the client really liked the character. And I go, okay, great, I made some money today. And then the next time they come back and they go, hey, we like that one commercial, can you do another one with that character? But at this time we need to have them do this. And then you end up writing, how do I write this, but still remain within the mind of that character so it remains true to them? And what ends up happening is as I have written this commercial campaign over the course of many years, that character has evolved, Mm -hmm. but stayed true to the core of who he is as a character. And so when you're writing, you're know you in a writer's room and you have, okay, what's the overarching plot line of the season? In season five, they're on a fractured earth. They'll do some time travel and we'll get them back and they have to solve it. Okay, love the concept. And then you end up having to write the dialogue to propel you from moment to moment to moment while remaining true to each voice of each character. And that can be very, very challenging, but it also, it's a growth period. The writers are discovering the character and then the actors are interpreting those words from the page to the screen and that adds something to it. And then the writers see that and go, oh, I never would have thought of the way Perfect example, Mark Ruffalo in Avengers, when he talks about when he's meeting Natasha for the very first time, he talks about things that he can't have. And at that moment, he reaches over and touches a baby crib that was just a prop in the room. And it gives you a sense that he's talking about not being able to have a family. And it was an improv moment. He didn't really think of anything when he touched that baby crib, but there was still. A subliminal message that went along with it, and now when we get to the re- relationship with Natasha and Mark Ruffalo's character in Avengers: Age of Ultron, and they have that little talk in the bathroom, and you're, you know when he gets out of the shower, and they end up talking about how she's been sterilized and can't have kids, and those things come back years later out of an improv moment that the writers see on screen, and it's a great moment, and it's like that's that's a new part of that character is he wants kids and he can't have them. So in season five, they may not know where they're going because they're kind of making it up as they go along, but they do have an end destination that they know they're trying to get to. It's just them filler moments in between where they're like, yeah, well, we really can't get to the climax for seven more episodes. So what's uh, episode four about?
1: And it's like, eh, power struggle against the slaves. Yeah, that sounds good. Write that. Kind of kills me that you told that great Mark Ruffalo crib story, which I'd never heard before. Again, I'm in the middle of finishing up our our Hulk series, which sadly, folks, again, we're going to have to probably kick down the road just one more time. But at the same time, I I feel bad because Aaron prepped this wonderful audio deconstruction thing that sort of actually feeds off of, of one of the films that the Hulk is in, right? The Age of Ultron, right? I was planning to try
0: and you know keep something tied into mildly Hulk related without having to be the Hulk, mm-hmm. and so I was thinking, what other movies has Hulk been in that would just be fun that had some fun, simple sound? Because I'm I'm a very warped person, I like a, I have a warped sense of humor. I started thinking about Age of Ultron, and more specifically James Spader, because I just think that he's a really great actor. So I had this idea. What if James Spader's character from The Office, Robert California, played Ultron? So I went online and I snagged a little clip of Robert California saying something very Robert California-esque and I plopped it into a session. And the reason I chose this is because it's very, very simple. You don't need a library of sound effects to create it. All you need is some audio of James Spader saying something humorous or or offbeat or whatever. And then you add a couple of audio effects on top of it And then all of a sudden you have the voice of Ultron. Speaking of the whole Ultron voice, I thought it was rather bold of them to keep it as James Spader-ish as they did. They could have manipulated that voice to high heaven to make it sound 100% robotic synthetic. But they really left his voice pretty much James Spader's voice without a whole lot of manipulation. So it's still fairly recognizable as him. So our very first sound is gonna be the clip dry, which means it has no effects on it, just the naked piece of audio by itself. And here's James Spader saying this. There's something about an underdog that really inspires the unexceptional. And I think it's got just enough snark that it would fit within Ultron's character. So I I think that's a good clip. So one of the things that I notice about Ultron's voice as I rewatch the movie over and over is there's a slight doubling of his voice where you hear his voice and then it's kind of repeated just a millisecond later, just a very, very tiny delay. So the next step I've added is a chorus and it's specifically a two-voice chorus. And a chorus is basically, if you think about a choir, that's many, many people singing. So when you put a single voice and then you add a chorus to it, you usually have the option of adding, you know, do you want this to be 16 voices? Do you want it to be eight? Do you want it to be two? And each voice is gonna be either a little bit higher or a little bit lower in pitch. And they're also gonna be out of sync with one another. So as 20 people sing, they may not be hitting the beat at the exact same moment. So there's a little bit of delay in there. And that's what I'm looking for is the delay factor in this chorus. So I'm using a a two voice chorus Here's what Robert California sounds like with a chorus on him, and you'll notice just a slight doubling of the voice. There's something about an underdog that really inspires the unexceptional. Now, the next thing that we're going to add is a flange, and what this flange does, it kind of gives it a wah 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 type of effect as he speaks, kind of a swishy, almost airplane jet noise. Is it kind of if you hear a jet take off, it's got that. Shoo- Doppler effect thing going on in it and it kind of creates that and what this does is it almost adds a Resonance like it's adding a synthesis to it to make it sound a little bit less human But it also kind of makes it seem like it's coming from a metallic body in a sort of way and then we'll play that clip There's something about an underdog that really inspires the unexceptional and then to the end We just add a very very mild distortion You just wanna hear the tiniest, tiniest bit of fuzz. And this will almost sound just like the dry clip, but if you listen very, very carefully, you'll hear just a little staticky fuzz in the audio as well. And in the dry version, you hear it almost not at all. However, in the final version, when you mix all of these things together at the same time, it's a bit more pronounced. So we'll play this one with just a little hint of distortion. There's something about an underdog that really inspires the unexceptional. And again, that sounds very much like the dry one. It's very, very hard to hear the distortion in it. But when you stack them all together and you apply these things on top of each other, it's almost kind of like baking a cake. You've got the cake and then you add frosting, you know, and if you were to reverse the order and put the frosting inside, it's suddenly a Twinkie. So it's the same concept of order does matter. And if you reverse the order, you get something a little bit different. So if you do chorus, then flange, and then distort the whole thing, you get this final result, which is Robert California as Ultron. There's something about an underdog that really inspires the unexceptional. (laughs) And and I just think that sounds really damn funny, because what I want to do now is I want to go find a whole bunch of clips of James Spader's best snarky jerk lines, and then just
1: redub, all of Age of Ultron. <laughs> well, no. I, and I again, think I, that would
0: be a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> I've always enjoyed this aspect of the, the television filmmaking process, the audio bed, that so much of what we think is storytelling is actually, the mood is enhanced by what's done audio-wise. And by the way, I have to tell you, I, I have put out the word about you, what you told over our last podcast about the Wilhelm scream. And I have friends already going back and forth. I guess they are eagerly awaiting their review copies of The Last Jedi to, all right, I know it's in here somewhere. And looking at all those scenes where somebody screams, just going through the audio bed and seeing what they can find.
0: Well, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to compare every scream from Rogue One to The Last Jedi. And as soon as they can find the one scream that matches those two movies, and they have to source where that one scream
1: came from. Okay, we are looking for your feedback, folks. So you audio enthusiasts out there, we'd love some help here, folks. I love that this challenge is out there and I'd love for listeners of Marvelous Disney to be the ones who actually figure this out. For the people that do enjoy this audio version,
0: what you really should do if you're interested in filmmaking, go out and find every movie that Robert Rodriguez has ever directed and he's got a thing called Three Minute Film School, where he shows you some very basic principles and, and how very simple sounds can drastically change the video that you're shooting. So as one example, he had his, I want to say three-year-old daughter running down a sidewalk and he simply had a beach ball rolling behind her and if you just look at it face value, it's a cute family shot and absolutely nothing more. But then he took the boulder rolling from Indiana Jones when he's trying to escape the very first temple in Raiders of the Lost Ark, the giant ball that rolls after him. He took that sound effect and added that to the beach ball. So it sounded like it had, you know, a million pounds of mass and then added some dynamic drama music behind it to make it seem like his daughter was running away from imminent death from this thing that was going to crush her because it sounded like it was a million pounds. And so just a little bit of music and a little bit of, of sound can drastically change what your image is representing in some extraordinary ways check those special features out they're pretty much on all of robert rodriguez's most recent last four or five movies and they're funny entertaining but they give you a heck of a lot of knowledge about how to create a very large effect with a very minimal budget and using some creative thinking
1: speaking of being creative here a little creative cross promotion len and i over at disney dish are in the middle of getting into talking about the Indiana Jones adventure and the Indiana Jones stunt show attractions that were done for Walt Disney World. And there's this wonderful story about the early days of when Disney and Lucasfilm were kind of getting together. And this was actually before they started work on the Star Tours simulator attraction. But it was just one of these things where it's like, we wanted to get a friendship going. And the folks who were working on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom were just getting started and assembling the audio that they needed for the runaway mine train. And they called Disney and said, hey, can we come over to the park and record Space Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain. Just be at certain junctures where you, you can hear the cars going by at speed and the noise they make on the track and that sort of thing. And just assemble a pile of audio that we can then use. And the Imagineers were absolutely, come to the parks. Let's let's do this after hours, after all the guests are out so you can get nice, clean audio. And yeah. And the interesting thing is, of course, you know, during that whole period, they're like, hi, how, what do you guys think of theme parks? Do you like theme parks? Would you like to work in theme parks? But again, if you want to learn more about that, listen to what Len and I up over at Disney Dish. But this, this is the the Marvelous Disney podcast, and, and I think we need to wrap this one up. So please come back for our first show in April, where I promise we'll wrap up the Hulk series. In the near future, I know that we've had a few listener
0: questions that have been sent to us. So we're going to compile some of those and then do a show of listener questions. So if you've sent messages to us, they have not been unheard nor unread but rather being compiled so we can put the spotlight on you for an entire show. And that will be coming up shortly. So if you do have more comments or questions about the MCU or us in general and our opinions about certain things, you can feel free to do so either at Bandcamp or on our uh, page on iTunes. Feel free to ask questions, comments, concerns, whatever you got. We'd love to hear from you. And then we'll be talking about
1: that on a future show coming up. For myself, Jim Hill and Aaron Adams, thanks for listening. And... We'll be back soon.